Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Hi, Art. Um, You know, I went into my backyard last night and I realized that there was an alien in my horse. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I'm Andrea Lopez Villafana, managing editor at Voice of San Diego, and I'm joined as always by reporter Jacob McWinney. What's up, Jacob? Hello. <laughs> Glad to have you here. Um, <laughs> and Will Huntsbury, senior investigative reporter. Hey, Will. I'm scared of Jacob right now. <laughs> yeah, that was. Hello. <laughs> he's got a cup full of coffee. Um, and Lisa Halverstadt, also senior investigative reporter. Coming up on the show this week, Lisa and Will are going to take a crack at the state of the city. Following Mayor Gloria's annual address, we have more questions and more news on the city's biggest issues. Lisa has been digging into an announcement Gloria made about a community fund for homelessness. And Will, he's got beef with a lot of Gloria's data. And a recent poll found homelessness and the cost of living are top concerns for voters ahead of the March election. But will Gloria face any real challenge in his reelection? We'll find out. And finally, the annual homelessness point in time count is happening next week. Lisa will share the current data on homelessness. We'll discuss those numbers, camping bans in the region, and a decision by the Supreme Court that could affect homelessness enforcement. It's going to be a good show. Stay with us. But first... Our next live podcast is coming up. We'll be at the Modern Times Beer and Coffee on February 8th. It will be one of our biggest shows ever to celebrate our 19th anniversary, if you can believe it. You can get your tickets now at vosd.org slash events. And a special treat for all you Andy heads or Keats heads or whatever works better out there. Uh, We confirmed through cryptic text messages that our former podcast host, Andrew Keats, will join the show. Again, that's February 8th at Modern Times Beer and Coffee in Point Loma. Sign up at vosd.org slash events. The link is in the show notes. And the Sacramento Report is back. That's our weekly newsletter following San Diego's lawmakers at the Capitol. 
The day this podcast drops, Friday the 19th, we'll release a new edition of the Sacramento Report, now written by Deborah Brennan. She'll follow San Diego's lawmakers, laws that affect you, and Sacramento Chisme every week. Sign up now at VOSD.org slash SAC. That's VOSD.org slash S-A-C. So on Monday, um, running errands, Target's like an event for me, as for many people, I think, right? I go get my Starbucks. Target. I don't I've know what that says my, about you, but I don't know. we'll keep moving. I think it says <laughs> that, that she's- basic. <laughs> no, it says that she's a basic girl because I'm the same, okay? I had, I had chores and things to do. Yeah. And Target was like the main event that day. Anyways, um, I'm going into Target. Uh, this was on Monday and I'm walking through the sort of like toothpaste deodorant area. Usually I'm at the Target and Sports Arena. Usually this area, um, is locked up. They've like installed these doors with locks and anytime you need a deodorant, razor, whatever, you got to ping it, wait for a Target employee to come and open it for you. But on Monday, Mm. all the doors were open. Every single aisle with this plexiglass door thing, they were open. Get her done, girl. And I was like, huh, (laughs) are they restocking? And people were just sort of, you know, like, people were like, heck yeah. They were like, this means it's free. I I can like stand here and stare at the toothpaste and figure out which one I want. Like, I don't have to have this pressure with target employee like over my shoulder. You know, I got to make a quick decision. You can actually stand there and look at the chemical ingredients of your toothpaste. (laughs) So Um, the target Moses had gone and like opened all of the- (laughs) Yes, opened everything. And people were just like shopping, living life. And I stood there and I was like, huh, is this because they're restocking? Or is this hashtag impact? Right. Because Todd Gloria is getting it fed done. up they with plexiglass. <laughs> they heard. Preventing people Let from getting people their <laughs> toothpaste. Um, wow. If if Gloria could claim that, I mean, that'd be huge. <laughs> that I would be I like some real person impact. That would be something that like normals who aren't like walking yeah. out on everything. Well, I, I like, didn't have my reporter hat on that day. I had like my basic girl hat on that day. So <laughs> I just went about my chores and the things I needed to buy and make sure I didn't, you know, pick up any things that weren't on my list because that's always a trouble when you go to a target. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And so I never stopped to ask any of the employees like why it was open, but it was very strange. And so if you didn't hear our podcast or if you, you know, didn't keep up with the news, um, Last week, Mayor Todd Gloria delivered his State of the City address, and among many points and highlights from that speech, um, one point he made was about how you know people should not have to wait for a Target employee to get you a toothpaste behind plexiglass, and how we should be locking up criminals and not laundry detergent. And this was all part of a speech where, you know, he was very much talking about law and order and about him wanting to um, support some reforms to uh, previous laws. One thing that I think is not a conversation we've had, and it's just kind of something that I've been thinking, was when he made that point, I think it resonated with a lot of people because, yes, it is frustrating if you're just going about your chores and, you know, you're going down your list of things like having to wait for a target employee or whatever employee to come and unlock something so you can get a deodorant is a little annoying and inconvenient. Sure. Um, But I was like, wait a minute, like Walmart's been locking stuff up since forever. 
Like I go to Walmart and Target. I'll shop at all kinds of stores, really. Uh, <laughs> <She> <laughs> sparkle in my eye. <laughs> she goes low. It don't matter. Equal opportunity shopper. But, huh? you know, like to me, I was like, I don't think we're really, I mean, he made that point and I, you know, don't know how far he wanted to take that point. But like, I also think there's a economic conversation we're not having and like a community conversation. I mean, some neighborhoods where I've lived, like that's the norm when you go to a store that you have to, I mean, the Walmart that I go to, right. it's closest to my house. Like they have the makeup locked up. It started with, for me, it started with the razors like 20 years ago. Cause yeah. like razors were always really expensive and really easy to steal. I never stole any, but, but they were. <laughs> and um, the fact that you felt the need to assert that <laughs> makes it very and clear that are, that statement is not true. Stipulate that they are way too expensive. Yeah. Anyway. But but yeah, I mean, now that you mention it, like that was when I was in college that I remember mm -hmm. that happening. And gradually it has fanned out, obviously. And in recent years, it has fanned out even more probably. But like you say, this has been going on a long time. Yeah, it's been going on a long time. And also like at certain stores, like it got me thinking, like, how do stores decide what they're going to lock up or which stores are going to lock up their items? And I still haven't figured that out quite yet. Like there's a Target in South Park that I go to. Nothing's really locked up. But then the Target in Mission Valley and Sports Arena, they've got their stuff locked up. Um, I don't know how they make these calls. I ended up reaching out to Walmart because I wanted to know. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, Get it. Doing the hardcore journalism so you over here. took the basic hat off and put yeah, the Yeah, took the basic girl hat on, put on my reporter hat. And I reached out to Walmart and I asked like, hey, everybody's been talking about like, you know, retail theft and how retailers are addressing the issue by locking up um some commonly used items or purchased items, um, but also like some weird stuff like underwear and jeans and socks I've heard. Um, but basically Walmart said they don't like really talk about their safety measures that they take, um, but that every single store, like they couldn't really answer my question because every single store varies widely. And so depending on the neighborhood or area where that store happens to be and what types of thefts they see, that's what they decide to lock up. But mm. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Totally. Like, it's a it's an interesting observation for the mayor to include, but also like that's a thing that's been happening forever. There's also a flip side of what a pol how a politician could respond, how one might expect a democratic politician to respond. That um, we need to make sure e everybody has a living wage is one way to make yeah. sure like people aren't stealing things that are expensive mm -hmm. that they like have enough money to buy them. Yeah. It's not the tack he took, though. Well, wow. I mean, I think that it, it all plays into the sort of moral panic of, around organized theft rings, right? That's been like such a, a, a buzz phrase in recent months. And, and despite the fact that, that there were these really outlandish figures that have been going around, CBS News in December found that a lot of them were just straight up bogus. I mean, totally. They're, they're, I wonder if it's marketing for these guys at this point a little bit. Like, you know, they are like, oh, we're like getting a lot of sympathy from locking up all these goods. So like, let's just lock up some more, get some marketing out of this. Do you think Gillette contacts Walmart and is like, we want our razors to seem like the dopest razors ever? Lock those up. People That's will like want Gucci. them more. But you know, on the flip side though, I will say like, I don't go to the Mission Valley Target as often now because I know it's going to take me more time to just yeah. get my girl basics, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I will open. admit, speaking of bouge and shopping, I'm making fun, but like the shampoo I get is behind lock and key. So. <laughs> oh, okay. I know, wow. I know, I know. I don't feel good about it, but 
<laughs> wow, okay. That's not something I expected. <laughs> Don't you use bar soap? Dude, when your hair's thinning, you know, you got to go to uh, greater <laughs> lengths. <laughs> I do. I mean, I mean, my- Got to get some booster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As I'm, Didn't see me like boosting my hair over here. <laughs> as I'm sure as I'm sure Lisa knows, when you have curly hair, you got to get yeah. some special stuff too. Yeah, you do. You well, do. all jokes aside, I mean, this was a moment in his speech where he was very passionate I think, and it resonated with a lot of like the normies, I think, as we call them. Like, I, I, I you know, I was like <laughs> repeating some of his quotes about this laundry detergent stuff with my friends and family members. And they were like, oh, heck yeah. Like, that sucks. Like, yeah, <laughs> they got like, fired up. Yeah, they got fired up because like, wow. you know. It, so like, did he. He did too, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, our, our Scott Lewis, who's missing from our podcast today. Um, he published a recent column on how, you know, Gloria was like very animated on this section and his conversation about law and order. But, um, you know, he didn't really have that same energy, same vibe uh, when addressing the reality of what we're seeing in the streets when it comes to um, homelessness. But anyways, I wanted to hear your thoughts on State of the City well, so for one, I think we just have to say homelessness is a really hard issue for any politician. It's never a winner, mm-hmm. um, especially where we're at now, because essentially we've got a math problem every month in San Diego where we have more people falling into homelessness than we have getting housed. And people can see that and they can see the visual evidence. Every normie, like we were talking about, can go outside and see the evidence of what is or isn't happening on homelessness. And, you know, certainly some of them may be seeing that things are looking a little bit better. Like, for example, downtown, there's been a drop in street homelessness. Um, But it's just really hard. And people are seeing, as Scott captured in his his, um, column, people are seeing that suffering. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think Scott made a good point of saying, you know, and we often talk about this as a team, as like, we need to enroll people in the problems that we have and talk about them. And then we can address them. And I think a lot of politicians shy away from talking about how visceral this crisis is mm-hmm. um, because it's just not a good news story for them. And the state of the city is supposed to be this wonderful moment for the mayor to talk about all of his achievements and talk about the big goals. And obviously, for as much as the city is doing to address homelessness, there's a lot more work to do. Yeah, I tried to make that point last week. Like, Yes, this is the state of a city and it's a production and it's like a whole thing. It's got the cool PowerPoints with like the cool timely slides. Um, and yeah, maybe it's not like a place where they would want to talk about those realities. But like, so when when else should you talk about that reality, right? Yep. Like if you've got the stage, do the thing. And he did it when it came to theft. You know, yeah. he's willing to be really blunt about there being a problem. but. Not on homelessness. Yeah. And, you know, I think that often mayors or just politicians in general get get caught up in this sort of urge to be a cheerleader, but you can't solely be a cheerleader and you can't cheerlead things that when you walk outside, you just see aren't really true, right? I mean, cheerleading delusion doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah. You got to reflect the world back to people in a way that it rings true to them in a little bit. And and I think that's what Scott was saying. He captured on the tide behind lock and key, but not so much on homelessness. And it is a difficult issue, but I don't think we should say like, it's never a winner. Like, I think we should expect like bold solutions from 
from our politicians on the biggest things that matter. And, and yeah, I mean, I've always thought when they just, when they overlook the problem and go straight to talking about their accomplishments, there's just something that rings incredibly hollow about that. Everybody's like not feeling this vibe. Yeah. Well, and certainly we'll keep following up to talk about that. And I certainly will be following up to talk about the visceral realities. Um, I do want to talk about one of the big goals that mm-hmm. he set that I just want to make sure it wasn't lost on people because I definitely was taking notes and thinking I'm going to be following up and mm-hmm. checking. Um, so the big pledge I saw in the speech that was that the mayor wants to deliver at least 1,000 additional shelter beds by this time next year. That's a lot. And that's actually, they clarified after the speech that this would be um, above and beyond the hundreds of existing beds that the city has that they're going to have to relocate. Um, And, you know, the city is looking at some different locations. You know, we've reported a bit about H Barracks, um, which is near Liberty Station, which the city could for a few years operate as a shelter. Um, Which just, would be for almost a thousand people, right? It, well, no. So it probably would be somewhere between three hundred and seven hundred people, but many details to be determined. Right. I have to say, hot off That's the presses, <laughs> before this podcast, I chatted with the chief operating officer for the city, Eric Dargan, and brought this issue up. And he said that he is really focused on trying to find a more permanent shelter location or locations. Hmm. Because what the city is seeing is, you know, and probably, you know, our regular listeners and and readers have noticed, you know, like the old central library shelter was open and then closed, should be opening again soon. The city had to close some of the um, shelter beds at Golden Hall and is looking for a new spot. There are other shelters that are going to have to open and close. Even the new safe sleeping sites aren't permanent. And so what Eric Dargan said is, that's a problem. Like, Mm. we need places that can permanently be a shelter. um, And so that's a big focus for him. And he invited me to be checking him in the next year to see what their progress is. He (laughs) he says he's going to do it. (laughs) So So. a thousand thousand new beds, not counting ones they've already created. Yes. So on top, so that would be above and beyond the ones that are going to have to move, which is literally, I want to say it's more than 600 beds by the end of the year, 650, I think more than um, that we'll have to to move. And th- so this would be basically a 50% increase over the beds that they have now. Hmm. It, it, more than a 50% increase, in fact, yeah, over that would the beds be more, that they have now. Because there's around 2,000, which, but should we talk about those numbers now? So, so there was a funny moment, you know, Will, you reported some months ago about, about, a little bit of kind of tricky calendar marking when it came to to Mayor Gloria's claims about percentages of increase in beds. You want to talk about what the mayor stuck the math to at the wasn't mathing. Yeah, the so. math did not quite math out right. No, um, and and you know the date the date was all that mattered, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, back when Gloria was pushing the camping ban, he kept saying that he'd increase shelter capacity by seventy percent, and I was like. Have they? I don't know. It just didn't seem right from the numbers I'd seen. So I dug into it and I realized they were getting a 70% figure by picking a start date that served them really well. Mm -hmm. They picked a start date that was several months after Gloria came into office during the height of the pandemic, uh, April 2021. And beds were at an artificial low that day. There were like a thousand beds that day. And that 
for San Diego was not the norm. You know, you had shelters all over the city closed. You had other shelters that could have less people because of COVID restrictions. So if you pick that day and compare it to now, things look just amazing. It looks like a 70% increase. But, you know, if you go back to Faulkner's day and before Todd Gloria, there were at least 1,400 beds in the city. At one point, there were 1,800, but let's, let's not use that number. Let's use the conservative number. This, the city of San Diego had at least 1,400 homeless beds before Mayor Todd Gloria became Mayor Todd Gloria. Mm-hmm. So it turned out it was a 28% increase. But you know, in his stay of the city, I think he said beds had, had dub- doubled. More than doubled. Yeah. More than doubled if you count from April. So he made sure to put, he made sure to let y'all know I am still counting from April. Yeah. Yeah. This time, at least he was transparent with his, with his <laughs> tricky accounting, huh? So Lisa, you were also paying attention to another announcement he made. Yes. So there was a big announcement that the mayor made that they, um, there's a new charity effort essentially called San Diegans Together Tackling Homelessness, which mm-hmm. is a new fund that will allow residents um, and others in the city to support the city's efforts to address homelessness. But, you know, it was a pretty high level announcement. Um, and I wanted to know more about that. Um, so it, and I had a lot of questions like who's going to manage this money and, yeah. you know, what is this funding? Have cities ever done that? Uh-huh. I'm sure maybe. I don't know. I, I think some cities have um, before and certainly in other communities. Um the community has gotten more involved in funding solutions mm-hmm. than in San Diego. So really, from the moment that I arrived reporting on homelessness in San Diego, I've constantly gotten questions from folks um, who care about this issue and say, well, like, where should I donate my money? Mm-hmm. Um, like, what are the good or bad nonprofits? Or is there like one fund? And, you know, there really hasn't been, you know, a clear place that people have felt like, OK, if I put my money here, like it's going to support these various efforts, although mm-hmm. there are some funds that exist. Um, so just had a lot of questions about it. So I've been poking around a little bit. Um, and today I actually, as I said earlier, had a conversation with the COO of the city, Eric Dargan, and asked him about this. He is um, basically saying, and I'll actually, I'll even just kind of like read a quote from him from the interview just now. He said, this is a community call for action. That is what this is. I am targeting 1.4 million residents of the city to get involved in the homeless crisis that we're going through. I'm asking them to donate their time, talent, or their treasure. So he would like everybody, even if it would be like a $1 donation, he would like to see everyone in the city um, contribute to this effort. Or maybe, you know, they don't have that dollar so maybe they volunteer their time. He really sees that from his perspective, the community needs to get a lot more involved to put a serious dent in this problem. Mm. Um, and he's got essentially what he describes as a four-pillar approach. Um, he wants to use this money to prevent homelessness, to try to shelter, literally, he says, everyone that's on the street, um, to move people into housing um, and exit shelters into longer-term places and to build more affordable housing. So looking at, they they have sort of a prospectus that they've put together um, in terms of goals for this. They're calling for $370 million um, in 2024 um, from businesses, nonprofits, faith-based organizations, individuals. More than 85% of that would be going to housing. Um, mm-hmm. I think everybody here knows that housing is real expensive. Um, 
But obviously I had lots of questions for Eric. Like, So they want $370 million donated to them to deal with homelessness. To work on homelessness issues. Mm, got yes. It. And it seems like a big number. It is a big a number. Big it is a big campaign. I kind of and- cringed when he said he wants your treasure, but $370 million does sound like treasure. Yeah. Yes, yeah. certainly. And and I think, you know, the one of the interesting takeaways from the conversation is, you know, Eric Dargan um, came from Houston, where they put a serious dent in homelessness. In fact, like Google it, if you haven't heard the Houston story, um, they are kind of exhibit A as far as big cities and having a serious Super impact. Super fascinating, on but you know, the big the big thing that's different in Houston though that, I, that always sticks out to me is that they I think when they started trying to fix their homelessness problem, they had like a fourteen percent vacancy rate in rental units. Well, and let's whereas talk we about, have like a three yeah. percent vacancy rate yeah. in rental units, so it's just it's harder to build here. We have less housing. It's cheaper and easier to build there. They already had more vacancy. So it was just that the conditions were Mm -hmm. better. Well, and so that's what, you know, Eric said that to me. He said, you know, if the things that really, you know, made it easier in Houston to to really put a serious dent in this problem is like, you know, not the same housing situation, not the Mm -hmm. same regulatory situation. But if, if we think about the three things that contributed to Houston's success, one of them is philanthropy and everybody singing from the same song sheet. And so I think now he he literally said, you know, he wants everybody like singing from the same song sheet, getting more involved as a community in the solution. Um, he thinks that's something that San Diego can replicate. One of the more like I would have liked to hear that state of the city address. Yeah. You know, and I, I told Eric I really would like to have him on our podcast to have a conversation. Oh, I thought about you were gonna say have him run for mayor against <laughs> <laughs> I, would never, I would never say anybody should run for mayor. Um including did you, me. Did you feel um, inspired? Yes. <laughs> I feel so inspired now. Um but I will say Eric asked, he said, Lisa, are you donating your time, talent, and treasure? Wow. <laughs> so he made the pitch to me. You're like, yeah, He's, I'm going to be fact-checking you. Yes. <laughs> that's what I said. I'm putting a lot of uh, personal energy into all of this. Um, but uh, but he said that he's literally going to be taking a tour around the city, talking to businesses and people all over to get them um, enrolled on this. One of the things that was most interesting from our conversation, though, was, you know, he has um, – so, the housing um, amount is, like I said, like that's the biggest amount of this $370 million that they're looking at. So, of course, I was kind of curious, like, hmm, what's the plan? So what he would like to see is the old Central Library downtown, which has been vacant for years, save for, you know, the few months that it served as a shelter. Right. They got people in there for six months. Yes. But turns out we all found out it was temporary towards well, the end. Now no one's there. And then they're going to get, yeah, they're going to get people back in. But he would like to see that essentially be like a 40-story skyscraper where the city actually owns hmm. that affordable housing and can be more active in terms of setting the rates and providing different services. Hmm. And he brought up um, this program um, just outside Austin called Community First Village, where it's actually not supported um, by much government funding. I think in recent history, they've gotten some government funding, but they literally you know, have a, a lot of tiny homes and people are able to live there and, you know, there was, I believe it was a New York Times feature on it recently that I had just happened to read. But he really wants to see a big investment in affordable housing on this property. And he thinks that it can be used for just so much more. I mean, he, in fact, said to me, because 
you know, we were talking about that shelter um, and I had actually brought up like, what's the timeline for that? And he pretty much said, well, Lisa, like, just think about how few people we could have in there as shelter. We can do so much more and serve so many more people in housing. So he's literally thinking hundreds of people potentially being able to live in affordable housing in that building. Obviously, like there's a process for the city to follow. Um, but he is really amped up about this possibility of using that property and potentially using this funding to help make that possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it did also bring up with him like there have been lots of threats of funding cuts and other things um, when it comes to homelessness funds, especially with the state you know, deficit. Um, and he did say like this is a way um, to make sure that we're not just relying on government. He really has a perspective that this isn't just like government's job and really maybe shouldn't be government's job to address this crisis that we all need to pitch in the whole community, the business community, individuals. He's going churches. for like a real JFK moment there. Yeah. It was, a, it was big, a pretty big. That's not what your like country campaign. can do for you. Yeah. That's I mean, I'm what you can you, do I, for your country. I like stepped away from this and I was like, wow, Eric. We're going to be talking about this. I didn't. You know, this I didn't is, know his name before just now. So yeah. <laughs> but okay, Eric. Yeah. Well, that's that's big news. I mean, obviously, like homelessness, cost of living, uh, continues to be top of mind. I mean, just the subjects that we just went over right now, like people stealing basic needs items, um, homelessness crisis. Uh, this is also an election year, and Gloria is up for reelection. Mm. Do you think Mayor Gloria faces any real challenge this year? Here, here it is. Here it is. <laughs> no. I mean, sorry. But as of right now, it looks like no. Sorry to Genevieve. Sorry to Dan. The other candidates I'm aware of, you know. But Larry, I, as Larry, of right now, yeah, it's Larry. not looking like he's going to have major challengers. Is, is that? Well, no. I mean, I, I speaking before the podcast, it seems like one of the major challenges that he faces is is or at least from your opinion is himself well you know the thing that we're jumping i'll just jump right to my hot take (laughs) that if like you are running against all these people and you're polling they're polling in the single digits and maybe one of them's going to make a surge you know genevieve jones right is a big name in this town she ran a big race against the da so maybe it's going to turn into a big race but if you're running against these people polling in the single digits the the state of the city and this law and order stuff, it just felt so reactive and so mm. defensive in posture. And like we're just playing on the old spectrum of politics that existed in years past that doesn't exist now in this nine zero city Democratic City Council, mm-hmm. very blue city like Todd Gloria ran telling us he was a progressive Democrat. He has no real challengers, and yet he's resorting to like law and order campaigning. I, that's how I feel <laughs> Without about <it>. words. <laughs> well, I mean, Gloria has always been um, kind of seen as a Democrat that could align with business. So even though he's had, he actually pushed in the past for a minimum wage increase, there was a big fight over that. Um, he's always kind of been seen as more of an establishment Democrat to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I think what we are seeing in the city is these different factions of Democrats. Yeah. Um, I think like one thing I just think about constantly is that Todd literally grew up wanting to be mayor. You know, mm-hmm. so when he was 10 years old, 
he was the runner up for the mayor for the day. Yeah. He and always they, like, wanted this job. Of him yes. One time. Yes. Oh, a lot of times. He's, he's tweeted you, it a lot of times. Do you, do you think the trauma of being runner up is why <laughs> what drove all, his whole career? Well, it drove his whole career. His career. He really wanted He's still this. so defensive about, well, about you know, his, himself think, as a politician. Though, I thought he was mayor for the day. Oh, no. He was runner up. He lost that race. Interim mayor doesn't feel probably much better than runner up because you haven't been elected. It's obviously important, but. But, you know. True. But so after Bob Filner's implosion, Google him. We won't go into everything if you aren't <laughs> a long time listener. Long story. Um, Todd was the interim mayor. Yeah. And the I mayor. The I mayor. <laughs> and I do think that was that, that really, was, was that a, a very, thing people called him. It that? was literally I mayor. That's oh. terrible. I, I don't like that. And one. Yeah. Thing was, was, he do, was he doing like iPod commercials and stuff? He was like, <laughs> no, but he huh. had. I mean, the, the, at the time, I have to too. say, <laughs> the media coverage and the community support, like everything, was just glowing mm. because the city was coming off having, you know, just chaos at City Hall. There was, you know, debates about how to remove Bob Filner. I mean, it was yeah. just complete and utter chaos. Yeah. And so, in walks Todd seemingly like able to do the basics of the job, you know, mm. literally like signing things that need to be signed so that and the city can people. like have contracts yeah, and not like harassing after the humiliation people. of like the eighth, eighth largest city in the country, having just a total pervert as the mayor, it's yeah, it, yeah, that was, <laughs> most things would look better. Todd and you know, he great. did have, he did have previous executive experience being runner up as mayor for a day. I think we need to, you know, call out right now. If you know who beat Todd Gloria in mayor for a day, please let us know. I, I'm curious who that person is and what they're up to now. Yeah, we, we should know. Um, but, but then, you know, fast forward to 2020 and mm -hmm. when Todd's running for and, you know, sworn in as mayor that was perhaps like the hardest time ever yeah. to be mayor so he comes in he's dealing with pandemic like the <laughs> pandemic he's dealing with public safety crises you know both in terms of concerns about like racial profiling and other issues mm -hmm. and like the police being mad about the you know but it's always a hard job stuff. it's always it's a hard always job a but hard i think job. he came in and it's like oh shit like, I haven't had a conversation with him about this, but I would love to ask. So, Todd, how are you feeling about this job? Because I do think <laughs> he came in, he was so I, That you know, is not excited. my concern, but that's I mean, very that's nice not, of you, Lisa. Not my number one concern, obviously. <laughs> Got a lot of harder questions for him. But I guess, like, it just, it did seem like he came into this job and it's kind of like, oh, shit, this is a yeah. little harder than I thought it was going to be, you know? For our famous Beef Week, mm -hmm. uh, you wrote about, like, all the people who are upset at the mayor and it came from all sides. Well, and specifically on homelessness, yeah. which, you know, we talked about before, I'll be the first to say is one of the hardest issues because it's so divisive. There are people that think that you need to crack down on the homeless camps. There are people that think that you have to take a more service-oriented approach. But don't great politicians fix the biggest problems of their era? You know, and he this is a guy who's wanted to be mayor since he was a child, as you've said. And now you come into it and you're like, well, I'm just, I'm going to, this is a very hard problem. So I'm going to like stick back a little on it. I, I mean, think he no, would argue is, he hasn't stuck back. I think he would argue that he's put more effort into it than anything else and anyone else. I think that the the issue is that whether this was Todd Gloria or Kevin Faulkner, 
um, it's just not the most winning issue because Mm -hmm. the problem is even so much bigger than the city and the current people that are in office. It's decades of decisions. It's, you know, housing affordability issues that go beyond just city of San Diego. It's really Um, hard. But I mean, again, like we recognize like the great politicians like from history for like dealing with difficult problems. And I think that what's, you know, like, you you know, you're saying he's not been back in the shadows and and that's fair. You know, he, he keeps saying it's his biggest issue and certainly work has been done. But I don't think anyone feels like we're getting ahead of this issue. And that's the problem. And that's the thing he didn't acknowledge in the state of the city. That was such a big problem. It's like, yeah, you've made a lot of steps. And in a lot of ways, each item you noted was true, except the one I talked about earlier. Um, But like, you know, that's not the same as like feeling like we're making headway. Well, and that's the beef really that both sides that have been really frustrated with the mayor have said is they just it's clear like they they disagree on the solutions. But what they do agree on is we need more urgency around this. You know, you you haven't made as much progress as we should that that, you know, the mayor isn't like taking this as seriously and doing all that he could be doing. And it's part of the messaging, probably. Well, um, the region's annual homeless count is happening next week. Um, It's managed by the Regional Task Force on Homelessness. So when all those numbers are crunched, we will have a better view of the crisis. Uh, Right now, though, we do have some figures to help us understand the state of things. Uh, The Regional Task Force on Homelessness reports that 1,161 San Diegans became homeless for the first time in December and 749 exited homelessness. I mean, those numbers specifically show that feeling like we're not making progress, it's not just a feeling, it's a reality, Mm -hmm. right? No matter how much water people are trying to pail out of the boat, the boat is still filling with new water and at a rate that, that is just not... We're not keeping up. Mm-hmm. And is, I mean, that's, I, look, I, you know, uh, not to come off as political. I think social science bears this out. But that is like a housing and a wage problem, not like a Prop 47 tied behind plexiglass problem. Prop 47, which is which is a state law that that reduced some felonies to misdemeanors, right? In terms mm-hmm. of like stealing and stuff, right? Yeah. As yeah. we During talk about this, city. I do want to say, too, that that trend has been going on for 21 months in a row. For 21 months in a row now, Mm. in San Diego County, we've had more people becoming homeless for the first time than we have moved off the street. It's just sobering. Right, right. But yeah, no, it is is a stunning statistic and you just are not going to like arrest your way out of that. Yeah. You know, which is kind of the message when you put those two things together in the state of the city, like, well, you know, we changed the bar for what a felony larceny is, which is what Prop 47 did. It moved it up from 400 something dollars to like $950. And so the whole thing is now the police won't come if it's less than 950 And I've heard people at gas stations, places say that, like they ask, like if you call and say there's a theft, they ask if it was more than $950 or not. Mm. I'm still not exactly sure on why, because it's still a misdemeanor for yeah. somebody to steal somebody for somebody to steal less than $950 worth. And we could also be pushing the police to enforce those misdemeanors. They're not, Mm -hmm. it was not completely decriminalized. 
So one of the solutions that he did push was uh, the camping ban, which uh, he gave a couple updates on uh, during his State of the City. But also the Union Tribune reports that more homeless camps are popping up along the San Diego River since the ban um, took effect last summer. Um, And officials, which Todd Gloria mentioned in the State of the City, um, say that they've arrested just one person for violating it twice And police have also reported 21 misdemeanor citations and 226 warnings. Only only 226 warnings. I think what's really interesting about the way that this has played out is obviously the numbers are lower than than folks would have thought. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot of fear about lots of ticketing, lots of arrests. But the thing is that if you go downtown and some of the areas that were densely packed with tents yeah people have moved on not entirely clear where they have gone but it does seem that people are more on the move since mm-hmm. this new ban went into effect and i'm hearing from you know whether it's outreach workers or volunteers or people that you know used to live on the street they're having more trouble finding people because folks are on the move It's not really clear, though, where all of these folks have gone. Mm -hmm. We do know that some people have gone to the city's new safe sleeping site. So as of today, the day we're recording, 511 people were sleeping at the city's um, safe campsites in Balboa Park. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But not all of those people came from downtown, um, where they have seen since May a 60% drop in street homelessness in downtown and some of the areas just outside of it that had had a lot of um, tents encampments previously. Do we know how many numbers that 60% would represent about? Uh, So the high was about 2,100, and I believe we're down to... Want to say it was about eight hundred and sixty-five. Wow! Um, so a pretty significant drop. But mm-hmm. then, if you so if you do the crunch that math, and you say you've got five hundred and safe sleeping sites now, according to the city, which Mayor Gloria, to his credit, created, that still leaves about potentially seven hundred people. You know, have been pushed to being on the move, and of course, it doesn't work out exactly like that. There's well, inflow and outflow, yeah. but that still well, leaves a lot of people who disappeared. Well, and the mayor says more people have accepted shelter. I haven't really seen that data. To well, so see. there weren't There's beds. So much demand you reported that yourself. There reported. weren't beds. Yeah, there aren't necessarily beds. <laughs> um, and people, just because they go into bed one day, they may go in and find that's not the right fit for me. Yeah. Um, but what I am hearing more about is people showing up in other communities like City Heights, um, yeah. Or South Bay, I've been National hearing from City. folks. Yes, exactly. There was um, there was a TV report on uh, people who were staying at an encampment in Chula Vista, and one of the individuals who the reporter was interviewing mentioned that they came from San Diego because of the camping ban, and really? they were staying in Chula Vista. Well, and they were relocating mm-hmm. because Chula Vista was ramping up enforcement, and this is something that I saw. So, you know, before the camping ban um, back in June of 2022, the mayor had made a pronouncement like we're going to increase uh, enforcement related to homelessness. And I followed some people um, for months and uh, one woman who Mama Heather, who is housed now, happy about that. Um, But she had done the same move where the city cracked down. She moved to Chula Vista, Harborside Park. Mm -hmm. The city cracked down, told people they had to leave. Mama Heather moves right back up, you know, to basically East Village, Mm -hmm. uh, edges of each East Village um, again. Um, And then the enforcement picks up again. And and we were talking about that. 
Um, I do think it, it was really interesting, this UT story this week, talking yeah. about um, folks um, in tents popping up along the San Diego River. I mean, that's long been a place where when enforcement increases, um, a lot of folks are looking to see, like, are there more folks staying along the riverbed? And so Blake Nelson from the UT did find that um, the numbers have been up the up to the highest in the last few months since the camping ban enforcement began than they've been in more than a year. Really? Yeah. Um, but I would say the numbers don't aren't necessarily to the volume that I think some folks were predicting. Mm. Uh, one dynamic with the camping ban that I think is important to note, too, is that right now um, the city is focusing on sensitive areas mm -hmm. where folks can't be at all times, even when there isn't shelter available. And they've started in parks and near schools. Riverbed areas and along waterways are covered by this, right? And so, very hard area to you know, enforce. It's it's a very hard area to enforce, but technically it is covered. Mm. Um, so I do wonder, you know, if that could eventually become an area that the police are a lot more they focused add to on. Their priorities. No, I, I feel like no, because because like the, the the big point of this this ban, as we talked about on the show before, right, is like. I'm the mayor and I see this problem of the streets not being clear and I'm upset with you. And like now the streets are clear. It, you know, when you push somebody out of a riverbed, there's nowhere else you can push them to. I just, I don't know. Well, I don't I've see that enforcement happening. Back and forth along the riverbed, including a couple. Um, and we should maybe just post a link to this story that I did back in 2022, but there was a couple in the, um, the gentleman, um, he had cancer mm -hmm. and um, his, I believe, fiance, I don't think they were married. She had just a lot of health issues, too. And they talked to me about how they were coming in and out of the riverbed. Mm. And I walked down there with her one day, too, after they were cleared out and mm -hmm. just watching. Like, clearly, it was so kind of her to take that walk because it was uncomfortable for her. Mm -hmm. um, but they had done this again and again. The police would come down. They would put up signs. Mm. You know, you got to clear out. Um, so I wouldn't say that it's it's never going to be a thing. I was just making my prediction. I could easily be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. In other cities, like we mentioned, Chula Vista is looking at its own, maybe considering its own camping ban. Um, Artega Slane reported in her North County report that the uh, Escondido's mayor, Dane White, wants the city council to also consider a ban. Um, but these conversations are all going on while the Supreme Court has agreed to discuss whether cities can even keep homeless people from camping in um, public spaces. So the backdrop of this is actually a 2018 Court of Appeal ruling, um, Martin v. Boise, that declared that punishing homeless people for public camping violates the Eighth Amendment, which mm -hmm. is banning cruel and unusual punishment. Um, if someone does not have a shelter, then this would be uh, cruel and unusual. Um, and then that ruling stood and there was a lot of consternation um, among many cities about it. Um, but there was a new case, um, Grants Pass, Oregon, um, where three homeless people sued over ordinances that that city had that banned them from using blankets, pillows, or cardboard boxes to mm. try to protect themselves while they were sleeping outside. It turns out the city actually of Grants Pass has multiple ordinances that ban sleeping and camping in public, which basically accounted for it covering the whole city. Mm. Um, and so an Oregon court actually ruled in favor of the homeless individuals um, 
you know, saying that punishing homeless people when they don't have a shelter is cruel and unusual. But obviously cities, especially on the West Coast, um, were watching what was happening here and just began imploring the Supreme Court, along with the city of Grants Pass, to weigh in. And so we saw Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, Mayor Todd Gloria, mm-hmm. uh, really calling on the the Supreme Court to get involved. Um, D.A. Summer Steffen ended up signing a brief in support of the Supreme Court taking this on. Um, said city of San Diego um, signed on to you know a, a group of cities um, that were pushing for this. Um, and so what we really see is now you know that the Supreme Court is going to take this case up um, this spring, and. There are a lot of eyes on this yeah, um, because it does have big implications for how enforcement looks, um, especially in West Coast cities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, it, it should be interesting because I think it's to be determined in particular how this affects city of San Diego. And here's the reason for that. So the city has some longstanding um legal settlements already that were kind of dictating how they handle homelessness enforcement. So if they were, say, going to cite somebody for illegal lodging, which is setting up camp without permission or encroachment, which is essentially blocking a sidewalk, per these settlements and agreements tied to them, they would have to offer shelter first. And they have a progressive enforcement model where the first encounter, they're not just ticketing somebody. Um, And And even in this new um, camping ban ordinance, there's obviously not a legal dictate or settlement on it, but they wrote in this whole process into the ordinance um, that there is a shelter offer process. Um, So, And it also also shows in the numbers, like the amount of warnings compared to the amount of actual arrests. There was like one arrest. Exactly. So, and Mayor Gloria told Fox 5 at one point that you know, really what he wants from this is to get clear expectations on what the rules of the road are. Um, but I honestly, at this point, I would be surprised if like if say that, you know, the Supreme Court came in and they just said, you don't have to worry about shelter, that the city would just. So let's let's clarify that offers. if they if they if the Supreme Court came in and what would the most extreme thing they could do be would would be, say, you can ticket people for encroachment and camping on the sidewalk, whether or not there's shelter. It's whether, not cruel and unusual. Yes. That would be the most extreme thing that they could do. California, San Diego probably wouldn't all of a sudden jump to that model. Yes. However, the thing is, that, you know, that um, I do think this could have ramifications for how the city handles situations where they might want to clear an encampment. Maybe there could be, you know, some different interpretations on the noticing that they have to provide. Mm -hmm. Um, Or there could be ramifications, for example, on, you know, what makes somebody involuntarily homeless? That's a big Mm -hmm. thing. Is, is, Is this person saying they, you know, are not interested in any shelter? And how far do you have to go? It seems like, I mean, it seems like the ordinance that they wrote was specifically designed to work around Grants Pass in Boise because they wrote an ordinance that said, we can clear you from some places 24-7, but then there are other places where we can only clear you from them if there is shelter available, which is you know what strikes at the heart of the decision, right? So we kind of already have this hybrid model, but depending on where the court comes down, maybe we would end that hybrid model and say, you know, we can clear any camp anywhere, 
anytime we want to. Because right now you can only do that in the sensitive areas near schools, parks, other places. Well, I think the big question, too, that, um, you know, I certainly will be looking to this decision to potentially weigh in on is what is the definition of available shelter? Yeah. So say that we have somebody or suitable shelter, you know, so if we have a person that we meet on the street who, and I literally have met someone like this, who is paraplegic. Mm hmm. And cannot actually get into a traditional shelter. Or maybe we have a senior that needs a bottom bunk. They can't climb up. Well, technically, we have a bed today. Oh, this person can't actually get up to that bed. So how do we, how far do we go in terms of, or need to go legally to make sure that there's shelter that is available and practical for those individuals? Or if there's shelter that has religious rules, for example, and, and, you know, you have somebody that doesn't want to go into a shelter with religious and, and that was kind of what Rob Bonta was really getting at yeah. during his, you know, our, our interview of him at PolitiFest. Just exactly, as you said, how far and how personalized and how right a bed needs to be before, you know, essentially cities can say, we have a bed for you and you don't want it. Yeah. You know? yeah. The way we do it now, right, Lisa, is that the, what they've told us when we've asked is that the bed does have to fit the person for them to be able to take it under this court current ordinance. So if you're a person with physical disabilities, you can't access the shelter. There's If there's no bed that actually fits you, they cannot ticket you for that in San Diego now. Correct. Correct. However, the, you know, there is often a question of what is the level of knowledge of that sure, officer? Sure. Right? It can get of, pretty subjective. Yeah, I it can get subjective, but, um, but generally, yes. Well, this is the biggest issue in our region. We will be covering it and providing updates in the morning report. That's the best way to keep up with homelessness initiatives and all our reporting. You can get it now at VOSD.org slash morning. Lisa, Will, thanks for joining the show. Way to go, everybody. Woo! Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. Get the Sacramento Report now at VOSD.org slash SAC. Get your tickets to our next live podcast at VOSD.org slash events. I'm Andrea Lopez Villafaña, Managing Editor at Voice of San Diego. Jacob McWinney is our education reporter. Lisa Halverstadt and Will Huntsbury are senior investigative reporters. Nate John is our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.